Look, our brains are great at lots of things, but remembering passwords is not one of them, especially not secure passwords. Let's free our brains from being password managers and get something way better. 1Password. One 1Password one keeps everything private and in sync across multiple devices. 1Password can't see the passwords or sensitive information you store in 1Password, so they can't use it, share it, or sell it, and neither can anyone else. I've been using 1Password for about 10 years now, and it's made my life so much easier, especially using it with Touch ID and Face ID. It's the first thing I install on any new phone, computer, or tablet I'm using for myself or my family. And all you have to remember is one strong account password that protects everything else your logins, your credit cards, secure notes, or the office Wi-Fi password. And I love that something I use to save me so many hours, I can't even count them all, is something you can try too. Right now, my listeners get a free two-week trial at onepassword.com slash beyond for your growing business. That's two free weeks at onepassword.com slash beyond. Don't let security slow your business down. Go to onepassword.com slash beyond. And welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I'm your host, Eric Fisher, and this is the show where I talk to the people behind the productivity. This week, I'm excited to share with you a conversation that I had with Tanya Dalton, and I'm thrilled to have her back on the show. She's the best-selling author of The Joy of Missing Out, which we revisited last episode. But this week, she's here to talk about her new book, on Purpose, The Busy Woman's Guide to an Extraordinary Life of Meaning and Success. And though I shouldn't really have to make this disclaimer, The Busy Woman's Guide is just as applicable to men, but I'm glad that she wrote it the way that she did. And in this conversation, we're talking all about essentially the process of choice, making progress towards choices that you have made or want to make or how to make those choices better, how to reverse engineer from the end result to the actions you need to take now so that your actions are aligned with those choices, how to be flexible in your planning while still making plans. It's definitely something that if you've not thought or felt the friction about this process before, this will definitely give you clarity listening in on this conversation. So I'm just going to get out of the way and say, enjoy this conversation with Tanya Dalton. Well, this week, it is my privilege to welcome back again Tanya Dalton to the show. Tanya, welcome back. I'm so excited to be here. We've had so much fun chatting in the past. Like I've been really looking forward to today. Yeah. So I, I, you know, I think it's been two times prior and this will be the third time. And I'm excited because you always have great stuff to share and great books. Honestly, it was funny. I get reached out to a lot as a podcaster. Hey, so-and-so, they're an expert in this and that, and they could tell your audience about such and such. And I'm like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, get to the point. And then it's like, I get, I. what's funny is is I get pitches sometimes for people who've already been on the show, and I'm just like, it's it's a no-brainer. I already see who the name is. It doesn't matter, 
you know, what they want to yeah. talk about. So that, and that was the case Get here. to the chase. Yeah. So that was the case here. So I was excited to see you had yet another book because that's one, you've been prolific in that case. I think it's what, been every two years or so now? Very cool. This is, yeah, I had a, my my book, uh, The Joy of Missing Out, came out two years ago, almost exactly. So yes. Yeah. Writing a book in a pandemic was definitely a, an interesting challenge. I'm not going to lie, but yeah, I'm really happy with how it turned out. Well, isn't that what we were all supposed to have done? Is is sat down and finally wrote our book during the pandemic? Yes, the great American novel. Everybody's been writing it during the pandemic. Yeah. So and then Netflix happened and suddenly it didn't. Yeah. Oh man. So I, I love the slant here. The book's called On Purpose: The Busy Woman's Guide to an Extraordinary Life of Meaning and Success. And obviously, what strikes me immediately is the words "on purpose." That slant or intention towards intentionality in the Mm -hmm. title and then obviously the content of the book. So it's a little bit of a double entendre. Yeah. I like that kind of play on the words. Yeah. Yeah. I would love for you to unpack that though. Like what is the meaning of the words on purpose here? Mm. You know, illuminate us. Like how did you decide like, oh, well, this is the next, because especially with authors, it's like, I try to track their through line because typically it's a ongoing journey or thought process or pattern that is happening with that author that helps them choose what the next book is. Sometimes, though, they'll find <laughs> I think it's the, the case with Cal Newport, his email book, for example. He had the idea for that years and years and years ago, but then was like, I can't write that right now and then did other books. But I'm curious for you, like why on purpose and why now? I love this question because it is very intentional, which is really what I I tell people about and I talk to people about. I like to say I get them in the door with productivity and they come in and I'm like, okay, it's, it's really intentional living. That's what being productive is really about. So, you know, I wrote The Joy of Missing Out in 2019 or it came out in 2019. And it was really about creating systems for your day and, and really how, how you maximize your time. So HarperCollins asked me, they're like, we, we would love another book. Like, we would like you to write another book. And I thought, well, the next extension of that, of course, is something on goal setting, which I was like, great, I can totally write a book on goal setting. No problem. I've taught thousands of people how to set and achieve goals. I can totally do that. So I sit down February of 2020 and I map out outline of what I'm going to talk about in each chapter. And it's all laid out with these beautiful plans of how much I'm going to write each month to make it super easy. And then March of 2020 happened. (laughs) And I think we all know what happened in March of 2020. The whole world went a little bit askew, right? All of a sudden, I am um, homeschooling my kids, running my business, filling out PPP paperwork for, uh, you know, the government, uh, making sure my team's doing okay. And this outline sat there and it sat there and it sat there and I didn't get started on it. But what was amazing is that I really had set out to write a goal-setting book. And when I had that space because of the pandemic, I started watching people and I started watching myself, honestly, asking these questions about like, why have we been doing things the way we've been doing things? Why am I doing the job I'm doing? Why am I, what is my purpose in life? Well, is there something bigger than this? And I was asking myself those same questions. And so when I sat down to write my goal-setting book, I discovered it wasn't a goal setting book at all that was in me that that really what we need right now is a book that's bigger than goals. Goals are not the goal. Goals are the vehicle to get you to the bigger life. And so we do talk about goal setting in the book. We go in depth of how we set and achieve goals. But really, the book is so much bigger than that. It's really, how do you figure out which goals are for you? 
Because I think that's one of the biggest things is people are setting goals and they're not really their goals, which is why we don't have the fire in our belly or we're not excited about them. So it really is about looking past today. And that's what living on purpose really is about. It's about living bigger than today, looking out on the horizon and seeing a tomorrow, seeing a a brighter vision of where it is we want to go and making sure that what we're doing on a daily basis gets us closer to that ideal vision. I love that goals are a tool, but they're not the end, uh, you know, no pun intended, the end goal, goal, right. (laughs) And and I think that's the thing for most of us, you know, when we hear the word goal, we're like, okay, I've heard about this a million times. I've set them, I've broke them, I've gotten off track, Mm -hmm. I've gotten back on track and then back off a track again, right? And it's like, how do you decide if a goal is a tool, it's how do I hold that tool now instead of holding it as like the shining thing to hit? How do I instead use a goal as a tool towards the end, again, goal? Help me reframe this. Before we go too much further into this conversation, let's redefine, let's say, end product instead of the goal. Yeah. Yeah, I call it your cathedral, there honestly. That's yes. what that's what I call it. That's what we, we dive into in the book is this idea of cathedral thinking. And it's true. We we set goals, then we get off track, then we set goals and we're like, what? I don't even know if I like these goals, but I, I set them so I have to stick with them. And that's what I mean by people a lot of times are not setting goals that are for them. It's really we're craning our necks. We're looking left and right. We're like, ooh, she's doing something amazing over here. I should set a goal like that. Or, oh, this person over here is doing this. I need to be doing that too. I should be doing this or I'm supposed to be doing that. And if instead we chose to look out on that horizon, looking at that cathedral in the future, that is when we tie our goals to something more meaningful. And I call it cathedral thinking because it's based off this whole idea that in like the 1100s, the 1200s, the city builders, the architects, the the designers, they had in mind to build these beautiful, wonderful cathedrals like the Duomo in Florence or the uh, you know Notre Dame. These buildings that, first of all, took hundreds of years to build, but were so much bigger than their lifetime. Right. It created a legacy. Those buildings are still works of art that we're still appreciating today, hundreds, sometimes thousands of years later. So we call it cathedral thinking because it's looking off into the future and deciding that's really what I'm working towards. It gives us something to work towards. And that's when we start to have a way that our goals have meaning. If we start backing that up and I can kind of walk you through how we figure that out if you want, because I think that's the big question. What should my goals be? Right. Yeah. Actually, I would love for you to do that because, again, I want to reframe the way we view and use goals towards that cathedral thinking. Because I I can tell right now somebody that's a listener is thinking, well, you said cathedral thinking and I get what that means. But like, what if the cathedral changes before I get there, mm. right? And mm-hmm. and so yeah. that's also like the end product, the the final destination. What if I don't have it in me to really even think about that properly right now? So the destination's already wrong in the GPS, let alone the way I'm going to travel there. Right. Well, and here's the truth is I used to say we write our plans in pencil and goals should be written in ink. And that was the the dumbest thing I could have possibly said because goals should be written in pencil too. Like it's okay to erase a goal. It's okay to stop from time to time and reflect and go, oh, you know what? This goal is no longer for me. 
And I think that's one of the mindsets we have to break ourselves of is that I set this goal, I have to see it through. Because sometimes on the route to our cathedral, our path changes. We are changing. We are evolving. I can promise you that right now I'm a different person than I was 10 years ago. I'm a different person than I was five years ago. I might be a different person than I was six months ago, right? And so we're evolving and changing. And it's okay if your cathedral changes and shifts. Sometimes it is when we get off track, when we're on the detours on our map to get to that cathedral, where we're like, oh, hold on a minute. I was on the highway before. I'm now on the scenic route, and I like this a lot better. What if this is what I want? And that's okay. Can we give ourselves permission to evolve and change and grow? Because that's what we're supposed to do as humans, right? Well, and this is where I I love this term the sunk cost fallacy. I know you've heard of this probably before, Mm, right? Yes. And I think this applies Mm -hmm. here because to to explain what sunk cost fallacy is, it means, oh, well, I've already put so much time into this thing. I Mm -hmm. now have to see it completely through no matter what. And that's false because here's the thing. Even if you've invested all that time, that energy, that whatever into it, you can walk away because that experience of having worked on that thing, even if that thing is not going to come to fruition in a certain way that you envisioned originally, you take with you all that experience then into other things. So for example, if Tanya sat down and and actually wrote her goals book prior to the pandemic, that's fine. But what if you then suddenly were like, uh, this isn't the right book now and threw it out Mm -hmm. the window and started over? It's that kind of a scenario, in other words. Yes. And this is why Eric and I love each other because we're talking about this exactly right. It's this sunk cost. That ship has sunk. Move on. It's okay. You gathered so much. I like to think of it as like a backpack. We have this backpack where we're just like gathering up knowledge and experiences and and all kinds of expertise in so many ways, shapes, and forms. And most times, the best, biggest Heaviest lessons that we pop into our backpack are the things that come from our failures or what we call failures or the trauma or the, the things that we're, we, we don't like in our past, right? We, we learn so much from that. And it's good to let go of that emotional weight. Yes, you sunk in some time, some energy, maybe some money. That's okay. We don't want to keep sinking more into it just because I've already sunk this much in, right? This is why we sit through a movie that we hate because we paid like, you know, eight bucks for the movie ticket or whatever. When it's like, you know what? Get up, get out. Get out of that theater. Get that time back. And it's the same thing with our goals. That It's okay if you start working on a goal and then you find out that it's not the right goal for you. Take what you've learned, put that into your backpack and move on, readjust, move in a new direction. So it's absolutely okay if your cathedral changes. But what we want to do is we want to make sure that when we are setting our goals, that we're setting it towards something bigger. That's why I like this idea of looking at the cathedral. There's this very real, very like scientifically proven drop in happiness that happens when we achieve our goals. If they're not tied to something bigger, it's called the goal setting paradox. And it's because you achieve the goal and then you're like, okay, now what? What what do I do with myself now, right? And that's a real problem. If you're not tying your goals to something bigger, like your cathedral, then you, you end up feeling like, I'm not sure what to do next. But if you're tying it to something bigger, you finish a goal and you're like, oh, now I have the momentum to go to the next goal. And each goal gets you closer and closer. So in the book, I actually draw it as like a little map, right? Where it's like, you are here at one end and then you're big, beautiful cathedral is at the other end, right? And there's a line connecting the two. Well, how do we get from where we are now 
to that cathedral? How do we figure out what goals to set? Well, if we think about that cathedral as our potential, what could we potentially do 10 years down the road? Maybe even 20 years down the road, but 10 years is far enough, right? What's my potential 10 years down the road? Ooh, that's what I'd love my cathedral to be. Well, if we back that up and we move along that line backwards to three to five years from now, okay, what's possible? What can I possibly accomplish in three to five years that would get me closer to that cathedral? All right, have that figured out. We create a landmark for that because that gives us something to work towards. But three to five years is still pretty far off in the future. So let's let's back it up a little bit more. If that's what my potential is my cathedral 10 years down the road, and then I see what's possible three to five years down the road, what's practical? What could I do practically in the next 12 to 18 months? Okay, so we're getting closer to where we are today, right? All right, that's a new landmark, our practical landmark. But if we break that down even more, what do I need to prioritize in the next three months, six months, nine months? Those priorities, those are our goals. Those are the things that get us on that map. So get to that first practical landmark, then getting to that possible landmark, and then getting to that beautiful cathedral at the end. That's how we figure out what our goals are. That's how we decide, you know what, this is going to help me get to that cathedral. So when we do that, those goals have more meaning to us, which means we're more fired up for them. We have a little fire in our belly and we're excited because that big, beautiful cathedral is what we're headed towards. So we achieve one goal and then we're ready to work on the next one. And we just start making our path one foot in front of the next on a daily basis. And that's that's really when we feel happier, when we feel satisfied, when we feel successful, when we're making progress to something bigger. Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search, just match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch that busy work. Instead, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. I wish I had Indeed when I was in the hiring process in roles in the past because it is a slow, arduous headache of a process to find the right people or at least it used to be, join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to find and hire great talent fast. In fact, in the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed, according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash to-do list. Just go to Indeed.com slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's something that works so well, it basically feels like magic. For me, I'm thinking air conditioning, noise-canceling headphones, definitely. Meeting-free Fridays. What about selling with Shopify? Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your own shop stage to the first real store stage, you don't have to just sell your own stuff anymore. With Shopify Collective, you can curate products to sell from brands you love and give your customers more variety and your business more sales. Shopify is your no excuses business partner. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Shopify also helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting 
checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash beyond. Again, go to shopify.com slash beyond now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash beyond. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. What I love about this is that by doing that it's not necessarily reverse engineering, but it's reverse. Um, reverse uh, yeah, reverse GPSing. There maybe? you go. Yeah, <laughs> it, it is. And, and actually, often I'll do that because I'll put in the final destination, and then I'll look for some things along the way, and I'll throw those in, and then reverse them, and, right? and so forth. Right? Uh, yes. GPS yes. nerds unite. So, <laughs> but what I love about this is that by doing this backwards engineering and thinking, et cetera, that once you then start from where you are and you have this kind of plan worked out, it can be held loosely. It can be followed flexibly because, again, to go back to GPS, say something changes. Well, you've still got some your construction in the road. Exactly. Yeah. Like something, something, mm-hmm. oh, I say a pandemic hits, right? We've all experienced that. <laughs> Minor thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you then can look over and see it's starting to say rerouting, rerouting. And you can mm-hmm. be part mm-hmm. of that because some other path is still going to get you there, but you've already done the work. Exactly. And I think that's what's really important. And sometimes those routes are really the most beautiful part of the entire journey. But if we're so married to the plan, if we're like, I have to do X and then I have to do Y and then I have to have Z happen, we feel frustrated when it doesn't fall in that order. When a lot of times there's a shortcut that we didn't even know was there. Right. Or we have mm-hmm. a detour that's like, oh, wow, there's this great little diner I found. Or this is a, this is a beautiful scenic view. So there's a lot of joy to be found in getting off the path. And getting off the path is a natural part of setting your goals. I don't think anyone sets a goal and it like go, everything goes as planned. I think that just doesn't really happen except maybe in movies. So it's first important to really normalize and say, it's okay if I've gotten off track. And in fact, you know, the last full chapter of the book is about choosing to give grace. Every chapter is a choice. It's choosing to give yourself grace when you get off the track. And we can figure out what to do. I, I call it the three A's. The, the first A is to acknowledge, hey, guess what? I'm off the track. I'm off the path. I, I'm not sure where I am. Okay. Don't need to beat ourselves up for it. Let's just acknowledge it. All right. I'm not quite where I thought I should be or where I was supposed to be. So then let's do the second A. Let's assess. Well, that's where I think I should be. Is that really where I want to be, right? Is this goal really still for me? And I think that's the really important question. That's where we get caught up in that sunk cost. Well, I've already spent six months working on it. So yeah, I should keep doing it. When really in your heart, you're like, I don't really have any excitement for this anymore. And it's okay to say, okay, third A, adjust. We can either make a path to get back on that route we were on before, or we can shift the way we're doing things, or we can take that goal and burn it to the ground. We can take the lessons, put it into our backpack and move along into another path. All of those are options. All of those are choices. And ultimately, that's what the entire book is about. 
the power of choice that you get to choose. I love the handling this again, or, or holding those goals loosely, allowing yourself the freedom to assess whether that goal is still the right goal, because there might be a different goal that will still take you along a close enough path to still get to that cathedral. Yes. I mean, sometimes, sometimes, Eric, we, we don't know the questions to ask until we've gotten off the track, right? We don't even know what's possible. We set out with this idea of what we want. And then along the way, our eyes are open to new opportunities, new chances, new things that we didn't even know existed. And I think what's important is to allow that to happen. We, we think of obstacles as being this terrible thing, but obstacles are opportunities. They're opportunities to make changes, to shift. I mean, we've just been through it with the pandemic. What a great opportunity to shift the way we're working, the way that we, we look at how life works, the way that we look at our communities. Every time we hit an obstacle, and an obstacle can easily be getting off that path that you've planned out for yourself, that's an opportunity. It's an opportunity for you to say, yep, I think I want to get back on, or I want to totally shift gears, or I just want to adjust it slightly, just a little bit, or I want to make sure I'm really creating time so that this goal can happen. All of those things can happen when we get off track. It's an excellent time to ask questions. And I think that's one of the big issues, I think, for us as adults is we're taught not to question. You know, when we're three years old, we ask why, 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 why all day long, driving our, our parents crazy. We go to school and we're no longer rewarded for questioning. We are rewarded for answering. So we forget that we can even question. And so we stop questioning anything. We stop questioning ourselves. We stop questioning whether this is right for us. And I want to encourage people, we see the opportunities when we ask the questions. One of the other words that is often associated with the word goal is the word SMART. Now, it's an acronym. Mm, yes. And mm -hmm. for the life of me, I cannot think of what... <laughs> the, I know the T stands for time, right? S-M-A-R-T. Yes. I cannot think of what the others are. I'm sure you probably do. But you say that's not the way to go about this. Yeah, SMART goals... I mean, first of all, SMART goal framework is a great framework that's been around since the 1980s. So I think we can probably agree that's, what, 40 years at this point? It's time for a refresh. It's time for an update. And I was finding that I was teaching people SMART goals. And we would talk about SMART goals. But I was always saying like, oh, but we need to, we need to change a few things here. That doesn't really work. And so SMART goals are not a bad thing. I just think it's time for an update. We really need to make sure they're working for how our lives work today in the modern world. So the refresh that I've given is really a piggyback off of the SMART goals framework. It's called impact goals. So you'll see that there's some similarities with SMART in that each letter stands for something to make it, well, in theory, easier to remember what each, word, what each letter stands for, right? So it's a tool that you can use to frame out what your goals are. So the impact framework is inspirational, measurable, purpose-driven, adaptable, challenging, and timed. So you can see there's a little bit of overlap there. But what we want is for each of those letters, that's what we want in our goals. So when they're inspirational, we want them to be written in a positive form. We don't want to think of ourselves as quitting smoking. We want to think of ourselves as a non-smoker. We want to make sure that we are inspired and ignited for our goals. Because if we're not fired up about them, if we don't understand why we want these goals on those tough days where it's hard to get out of bed or you're, you're kind of dragging a little bit, 
it's going to be harder to want to work on those goals. So we want to make sure they're inspirational. We also want to do the M, measurable. It's important to be able to measure your goals. And that's the M also in SMART goals, right? Measurable. We want to be able to see where we've been. I think it's really important to create these breadcrumbs for ourselves that sometimes we have to look at where we've been to see how far we can go. And moving forward, we can say, oh, look at how I've done on this path. So measuring our goals is really important, but we don't want to get caught up in the numbers. Like a lot of times when we measure our goals, we really zoom in on things like numbers that are quantifiable. So numbers like the numbers on the scale or the number that we're bringing in on our paycheck or the revenue that we're bringing in for our business, right? And instead, I would encourage you to look at measuring as how often you're doing an activity. Let's say your cathedral is to live a healthy, active lifestyle well into your 90s. If you're wanting to set a goal that you're going to lose 10 pounds, is that really your goal? Or do you want your goal to be something like eating healthy? Well, what if I make the goal to eat healthier more often? How could I measure that? Well, how about if I eat a healthy meal at home instead of getting fast food around the corner four times a week? And that's your goal. So that's how you can make it measurable. Then, of course, we get to P, purpose-driven. I mean, the name of the book is On Purpose. If you didn't think the P was going to be purpose, (laughs) go on. Tie it to something bigger. Tie it to a much larger vision, right? Then we have adaptable and challenging, which I think go hand in hand. We want to make sure we're setting goals that push us out of our comfort zone. So we want them to be challenging and that they're going to allow us to really stretch our wings and spread out and grow. But at the same time, if we set our goals so they're so challenging, we don't achieve them, We fall off the wagon and we go, well, didn't do it, couldn't make that happen. So I'm just going to let this goal fall aside, which is why we need them to be adaptable as well as challenging. And I think that's a really big one is setting goals that are adaptable. So one of my favorite ways to do that is with the MTO method, minimum target and outrageous. So going back to that example of eating healthy, your target is that you want to eat healthy and you want to eat at home four days a week. That's your target. Well. Our minimum could be we eat a healthy meal at home two days a week because two days, while it's not four, two days is still better than what you're doing right now, right? So when we hit that minimum, we've still achieved that goal for the week, but we're still shooting for that target of four. So that's our M. Then we have our target. Then we have an outrageous goal. Like let's say your outrageous goal is to eat a healthy meal at home six days a week. So that allows us to stretch and really challenge ourselves even more to try to do it more often right? So having an MTO goal allows it to be adaptable and it allows you to feel successful, which means you're more likely to keep that goal moving forward. And then our last letter is T, timed, which again is just like SMART goals in that we need to have a container of time. We want to set a deadline for ourselves. We don't want to just say, I'm going to do this someday, giving yourself a deadline. So inspirational, measurable, purpose-driven, adaptable, but challenging, and then timed. That's the impact framework. So I think this is much better approach than smart. And, and again, you, you well, ta- thank you. I, I love that you've taken the applicable, the parts that really mm-hmm. do matter out of smart and have pulled them into the impact. One of the things that then using the impact framework instead of smart goals, one of the things that it does is it alleviates or removes as much of a dependency on, say, willpower or discipline or just you sticking to itiveness 
towards your goals and it actually reverse engineers or, or, or really like prize them open and says, no, actually this goal is going to work better because if you broke your streak, for example, you'd still be able to pick right back up. Yes. And I think that's really the thing that happens is, you know, we, we set a goal for ourselves and we have a week where we get off track because, well, you know, life, life happens and, you know, we're sick for a week or we have a sick kid or we've got, you know, a series of meetings at work that keep us up late or whatever it is. And we fall off track and then, then we're like, oh, well, forget it. I didn't do it. And so having those impact goal framework allows you to still feel like you're on, on the track, that you're still making progress. Yeah. Maybe you only hit the minimum this week, but next week, you'll hit the target or maybe you'll shoot for the outrageous, right? It gives you that flexibility for life to happen. And I think that's really important. But I love what you touched on there is this whole idea of discipline and willpower because we love to say that we're not disciplined enough. I can't achieve my goals. I just don't have the willpower. And I truly believe willpower, discipline are just overrated and they're not really what we want. I mean, for me, I like to equate it to uh, white couches, which is a funny thing, I know. But I look at these images of these white couches and I'll pin them on Pinterest. And I'll look at them in catalogs and I'm like, ooh, I would love to have a white couch. It looks beautiful. Look at this living room. And then I remember I have two kids, a dog, a cat, and we like to have popcorn movie nights. And so a white couch, that sounds awful. <laughs> That's not going to work for me or my lifestyle. I love the way it looks, but it's not really for me. And that's really what discipline is for most people. It looks good from the outside. But do you really want to be like hyper disciplined where there's no room for enjoyment or life or just joy to like make its way in? So instead of feeling like we need willpower, because truly willpower doesn't exist. If we feel like we need that, what if we chose instead to create some mini healthy habits for ourselves? Create a cycle of self-trust where we set ourselves up with a healthy habit. So again, let's go back to wanting to eat healthy. A healthy habit might be uh, when we come back from the grocery store, chopping up the vegetables and putting it in the refrigerator. And then we put it next to our, our lunch bag so that we have healthy snacks at the office. So uh, a really easy, very quick way to do that is to have those vegetables pre-chopped set out next to your lunchbox each day. So when you start doing that on a regular pattern, no longer are you a person who defines yourself as, oh, I eat so unhealthy. You've now changed the way you identify yourself as a healthy eater simply because you've done one small healthy habit on a regular basis. It's the same thing if you, let's say you want to start meditating. Let's habit stack that. Let's leave your meditation app right next to your coffee pot, right? You're getting your coffee every day anyways. So that's a habit you've already established. Let's just piggyback off of that. Leave your meditation app right there so you get your coffee. You're like, oh, going to meditate for five minutes or two minutes or whatever you need to do to get you started, right? And that way we create this cycle of, oh, I meditate every day. This is just something that I do. And we build up that self-trust in ourselves, that belief in ourselves. And that's what makes us more willing and more able to move forward with our goals because we believe that we can do it. And there's a lot to be said for that belief in ourselves. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I can't help but think, sorry, my brain goes there, but I love this movie. What about Bob? I see him strapped oh, to the yes. boat and he's like, I sail, I'm sailing. I sail now. Like he's done it one time, but he's now claiming it as I am a sailor. And, and that's in effect what you're saying is, is this habit stacking. We've talked a lot about habits on this show before. Habit stacking 
and the way that you described it is, you know, joining habits together so that then that helps you. It's like having multiple levers and fulcrums towards that goal that makes it easier to then check that goal off one more time, or at least the consistent, you know, bricklaying of the habit towards Mm -hmm. that goal, in other words. Well, that's what routines really are, is just a series of habits stacked one after the next. It just, we don't think of them as being habits that we're doing. But especially if you're intentionally choosing what those habits are, we can intentionally choose habits that get us closer to whatever that goal is. And if we're doing that on a regular basis, we're moving forward. Or to use your what about Bob reference, we're baby stepping, baby stepping here, baby stepping there. Every baby step counts. And I think what we do a lot of times is we discount the baby steps. Even though the baby steps get us where we want to go, we think it has to be this giant leap or it has to be this big audacious thing that we do for it to count. And that's not really true. It, It really is the small steps that matter most. We look out at the chasm and we look at where we are now and where we want to go. And that's really big. And we're like, well, I gotta, I gotta jump. I just gotta make the leap. When it's like, no, what if you just chose instead to, to baby step over to the bridge? <laughs> that's, that's like 20 feet away. Or what if you chose to, to walk down the canyon? You'd have a much better chance of, of getting to the other side. And so let's not discount these small steps because it is the small daily steps that make the biggest difference. If every day you do one tiny thing to get you close to that cathedral, you're gonna be there. Before you know it, we don't have to build a jetpack and spend 20 years trying to do build in all that science to, to zoom across that chasm. We can do it with our own two feet. And that's really when we find joy. That's really when we find happiness, when we're working on a daily basis to get us to where we want to go. I think that a lot of people chase busy because that's what we think we're supposed to do. We, we check a thousand things off our to-do list. We fall into bed. We are exhausted. We are worn out. And when we're lying in our bed, when our head hits the pillow, we think to ourselves, oh, why didn't I get more done today? Or I should have done more. And that's because we're doing all the things that we don't really want to be doing. We're chasing down a million different things instead of doing fewer things that get us closer to that big vision of what we want. When we do fewer, more meaningful things, that's when we fall into bed at night and go, wow, today was amazing. Wow, you know what? I am amazing. And that's a question I think that's good for your listeners to ask themselves. When is the last time you went to bed and thought to yourself, I did amazing today? Because if it's been more than a day or two, that is far too long. We want more days where we're taking these little steps towards that big vision of where we want to go so we can feel satisfied, so we can feel successful. That's where happiness lies. And that's really what life is about, being happy. It's not about the struggle. It's not about the strain. It's not about the forcing things to happen. It's really about finding joy in every single day. Every goal, every aspiration, every dream is steeped in happiness. Well, and that kind of sets up this one last aspect to the book that we've not touched on really, although it's definitely present in the conversation thus far. In other words, the way you were or the way you acted prior to now can determine where you're going to go. And it can be a negative effect unless, like I was talking about earlier, where, you know, sunk cost fallacy. Well, uh, I've already Mm -hmm. sunk so much of my time into these bad decisions. I guess I better just keep making those bad decisions. And so, yeah, there's a whole other context here, I guess, in a sense of changing the way that you approach this. 
Yes. The first chapter is choose to disrupt your patterns because our brain loves patterns. It does. And so it wants to repeat the patterns, even if the patterns aren't benefiting us. Those patterns have allowed us to survive until today. So that's what your brain is all about, survival. It's like, we're going to make it through today and that's all that matters. And so we have this pattern of thinking to ourselves, this is just the way life is, or this is just how it is, or I'm just the worst at this, or I, I can't do these things, or I don't have the ability or whatever it is. We can choose to disrupt those patterns. And, you know, this ties in with when, when we talk about that cathedral, people say to the, themselves, well, okay, this is great, but I don't even know what my cathedral is. Well, you have a whole past behind you that we can draw from. You're not starting with a blank sheet of paper. And I think that's a really amazing thing. But what happens is we don't want to look back in our past because it's filled with trauma or pain or frustration or failure or all those things that we just want to sweep underneath the rug. And those are actually amazing fertile ground for us to grow from. Our past is just this amazing reservoir where we can really understand what it is we want. And what we talk about in the book, there's lots of ways you can discover what your cathedrals are. And we go into several of those throughout the book. But one of them is really looking at what you regret. What do you not like? Because when you are clear on what you don't like, what you don't want to repeat, what you don't want to have happen again, it's so much easier to see what you do. We can push against regret to build in resilience, right? I know I don't like this. That means I do like that. And then we can start to build a list of what we do want. I think so often people are like, I have no idea what I want. Start with what you don't want. Look at your past. What are things that you didn't like about yourself? What are things that you're not proud of? What are what are things that you don't want to have to repeat again? Now you can start to have a list of what you do. I know for me, I had a season where, and I'll make this story as short as I can, but I had this season where uh, we had product coming in to the warehouse and I have a giant warehouse. We had thousands of boxes in my warehouse. I opened the first one, everything's damaged. I opened a second one, damaged. Third one, 150th one, every single box was damaged. And I thought, okay, my business is sunk, but I had, I had to like dig in and I had to figure it out. And I ended up having a time, a season where I was working ridiculous hours, seven days a week for like three months, 12, 14 hour days. The kids were getting off the school bus, going to the warehouse. We were eating dinner on the floor of the warehouse. We were after, you know, the weekends were spent at the warehouse and we, we made it through with the business. But I got to the end of that season and I'm like, oh, I'm the world's worst mom. I'm like terrible. My kids haven't done anything fun. All I've done is work nonstop. I am the world's worst mom. And that could have been the story that I told myself for the rest of my life. I could have just let that be a pattern that was set, right? And just that's it. But instead, I said, okay, I don't want this again. I do not want to feel this terrible about how how I parent and who I am as a mom. So how can I turn this regret into something different? Well, I realized I don't want that anymore. I don't want to work those hours. So I decided at that time that I was going to stop working every day at three o'clock and I was not going to work on Fridays. I was going to work Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday till three o'clock, not work on Fridays. That way I can come home, be with the kids, focus in on my family time. That was several years ago. And I still have that boundary today. I run a seven figure business and I leave work every day, Monday through Thursday at three and I don't work on Fridays. If you had told me years ago that that was possible, I would have said, no, can't do that. Not going to happen. But because I had that season of terrible regret, I pushed against it to see what was possible. And that shifted everything. It totally changed my entire business and how I look at business. 
because of that regret. And that's how powerful those painful parts of our past can be. It can change our entire world and our our whole outlook on what is possible for us. I love that. That's a great example of changing the narrative, changing the story, saying, oh, well, I am not this person. I am this person instead. And just, yes. oh gosh, I love it. So I think that a lot of people are going to love getting this book and it's out. You can go grab it. You can go order it. And I would love for people to either go to where they normally go grab books or is there a best place for them to maybe find out more and push them over the edge, tip the scales a little bit? Yeah. So if you go to tanyadalton.com, that's my main website. You can find links to both of my books, The Joy of Missing Out and On Purpose there. The direct link to On Purpose is tanyadalton.com slash on purpose. On my website, you can also find links to my podcast, The Intentional Advantage and all kinds of extra information. We dive deep into the book. And one of the things that I love doing with my books is I create interactive reader's guides that are free, that are included, that really allow you to take the concepts and the ideas and start applying them right away into your own life. I'm all about creating action so that you can get that momentum going. So tanyadalton.com. Love it. And I will make sure to, if you're traveling, if you're driving, if you're working out, whatever, don't worry, we got you covered. The links are in the show notes. You'll be able to get to those later. So Tanya, great talking with you as usual. Obviously, always an open invitation to reach out and come back on the show. Thanks for being here. Absolutely. We always have a great time. Uh, I feel like you and I can nerd out on all of this this productivity stuff. So I always have a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me. Well, that's another podcast crossed off your listening to-do list. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation with Tanya Dalton about the reverse engineering of the end goal and then aligning your actions and yet maintaining flexibility while you make plans. I always enjoy talking with Tanya. This time was no exception. I hope that you got something out of it. If you did, would you do me the favor of sharing this episode with somebody that you know needs to hear it? All you need to do is hit the share button in your podcast player app of choice, wherever you're listening to this right now. Or you can do that over on the show notes at beyondthetodolist.com. Subscribe if you're not yet subscribed. And again, thank you for sharing. Thank you for listening. And I'll see you next episode. Hey, thanks for listening to the end. If you're looking for a show to start helping you apply these productivity lessons on your business, check out Millionaire University. It's real lessons from real entrepreneurs teaching you what you need to know to improve your business or start one if you've been putting it off. It covers all aspects of business from starting, marketing, growing, managing, and everything in between, wearing all the hats. And as an added bonus, I am conducting a number of those conversations, those interviews, so you'll fit right in. Again, that's Millionaire University. Just search for it in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast.